Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. Welcome here. I'm glad you clicked play. And um, when we created this episode around what it means to live through the loss of a child, um, it got me reflecting on people in my life that I've known um, who have lost children in utero, who've lost children in their early years, in their teen years, and as young adults. And a couple of things stood out to me about that experience. One was the unfathomable nature of what that loss means, and that I cannot imagine that experience. Um, And the other part of it is observing as an outsider, observing kind of this silence that followed, this quietness, this aloneness, that nobody really knew how to touch it, get near it. Um, It's hard. And I just think about people who are in the position of having had that loss in an immediate way, in a close way, and their experience of having to somehow navigate that on top of the isolation and in spite of the isolation. So today's conversation is going to be with a beautiful human being who I work with and have gotten to know in the last couple of years, uh, who has lived experience, who lost her 15-year-old daughter years ago. She guided her work as a result. It got shaped and molded and bent into a direction that has become really meaningful for her. Tammy is now a registered clinical counselor, and she has a fellow in thanatology. She also has recently completed her existential analytical psychotherapy diploma, and she also has some training around trauma. And she'll talk about how those things really come together for her in her work around grief and loss, because oftentimes our loss is traumatic. Tammy Bartell also wrote a thesis that was focused all around family bereavement, around relational grieving and continuing bonds. And that thesis won an award of distinction. And I'm so pleased that she has carved out some precious time on her Sunday afternoon to have this conversation with me to talk about her research, um, her experience, what she speaks to in her work um, at conferences and with clients. And so um, I'm not going to take up too much more space in my intro here because I really want to get to sharing with you my interview with Tammy. Welcome. 
I have, we talked a little bit about in advance about some of the questions I was going to ask. I, I would love you to take this where you think it's important to go. Um, and to start out with, I, in your introduction, I mentioned that you have a background in phenol. Okay. I'm not even going to say it right. Say it for me. Thanatology. I want to say that. <laughs> Thanology. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to try that again. Thanatology. And so when I asked this question, I also would love you to address what exactly that means. Okay. Okay. So what led you to the work that you do? And I also would love to know and have our listeners understand how that life experience has shaped or influenced the way you personally in your work around grief and loss therapy approach that work with your clients. Um, yeah, so I mean, great question. Obviously, we, um, our experiences, I truly believe, uh, impact us greatly. They lead us into different paths that we might not have even imagined going on. Um, there's a, a quote or a saying out there that says, don't let your past or your um, conflict or traumas or, or whatever define you. And, and um, that always hits me the wrong way because I believe they're there. They're part of us. They influence us. They impact us. Um, and so around grief and loss, it's really significant to recognize that we carry that with us. Um, so, yeah. I like think it's shaping it, in some way. It is, absolutely. And, and the more people that I meet sort of in the field of death and dying, there's always a story that kind of brought yeah. them there. Um, yeah, so um, all that to say, I definitely, my personal experience um, of losing a loved one has impacted me. It impacted our whole family system. I am not the same person um, I was before my daughter died. Um, it changed my identity. It changed, you know, kind of the trajectory of where I was going in life. So 15 years ago, um, I have three beautiful daughters. Um, one at the time was 19, my older daughter, and one was 17, and one was 15. So the 17-year-old Jessalyn and the 15-year-old Ellie Rose were driving back from school, um, and they were in a single vehicle car accident, so nobody else um, involved. And Ellie Rose was killed instantly in the impact. The car rolled. Um, so our world was shattered. You know, we, um, everything changed. I tell people, you know, when you, you have a belief system, you've, even at, as an older adult, um, you know, being married and having kids, uh, I had worked through a lot of stuff, a lot of things, yeah. had come to know my values, my beliefs quite strongly, I think, as, as a wife and mother, um, even my faith journey, you know, all of those pieces. Mm -hmm. And after the accident, it really felt like everything was thrown up in the air. And just yeah. started coming down, hit me in the head. And I didn't know what to do with it. So I like to tell people that, you know, when, when something this catastrophic happens in our lives, um, specifically the loss of a child, loss of anybody who you're sort of living in the same mm -hmm. family system with, those are big pieces. Uh, you have to redefine who you are. I was now a bereaved mom. Uh, I had to redefine the journey. I was, you know, we were working in humanitarian aid, doing a lot of work in other countries. Uh, Ellie was always so proud. She'd had uh, 20 passport stamps. Um, mm -hmm. I 15. 
Um, but, you know, in that, I was on the way to sort of becoming a nurse, getting my nursing, not to be a practicing nurse, but to be able to take supplies and medical things to the country that we had gone to. After Ali died, I did not want to do that anymore at all. Um, I had about a four-year hiatus, I call it, of, of being very much in a, well, the first couple of years in a very dark place, um, and being also the mom. And my role in the family was to keep this family together. So um, my husband had social anxiety, to, you know, to begin with, he's an introvert. After Ellie died, it was crippling for him. Mm-hmm. My older daughter, very much an introvert, perfectionist, became suicidal. Mm-hmm. My middle daughter, who was the driver, had post-traumatic stress disorder, big time. Yeah. So, you know, and then my grief, you know, we're all grieving and we all have yeah. all these little pieces that, that come about because of who we are and our personalities. So the, the most, uh, you know, the biggest thing for me was um, I need to learn, you know, about what's going on for all of us. I'm a learner. I, I was the, the person who read every book uh, yeah. on parenting, yeah. right? Yeah. Wherever I was in life, I was reading um, and getting knowledge. So I just felt very helpless in this family system of knowing sort of what, what to do. Uh, and then we also had this outside world of what happened to us people mm-hmm. were afraid people became paralyzed around us um in our darkest, you know the darkest nightmare i guess you call it every mom's mm-hmm. every parent's uh, nightmare happened and people rejected us people walked oh. across i would see a friend and they'd be on the other side of the street um my own family my brother turned white in the face wow people they did like abandonment yeah abandonment rejection you know uh, mm-hmm. awkwardness silence um there's books written on oppression around grief and and shaming around grief so mm-hmm. we either got you know really <laughs> left out or people would come up and tell us that oh you know this happened for a reason uh this oh, happened yeah. because, you know you're you're strong enough your family can handle this uh, well, nobody can handle the loss. No, of right. You know? oh. Yeah. So the, the, you know, yeah. that, those parts of my journey were, how do I be the mom in this, you know, um, yeah. world that's upside down? How do I be with my friends even when, you know, I would come and make a coffee date with somebody and I would get them saying, on my way here, I thought my daughter was going to die. She rode her bike to school. And I represented death to people. I represented, wow. I, drew, I brought out fear in a lot of my friends um, and family. So all of that just, it was like, you know, how do I, where do I find solid ground? What, you know, how, no do I, how do I find the ground and then be that support to this family who, um, yeah, like I said, we hadn't been there before, didn't know how to do this. Right. No roadmap for this. Yeah. None, right? So I also learned that in our Western world, we we deny death. Mm-hmm. We we try and get people to move from sad to happy. Yeah, we have no concept of how to hold joy and sorrow at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, and it's hard. It's very difficult, and we haven't mm-hmm. been taught to do that. Mm-hmm. So you know, 
I would get very frustrated and almost angered when people tried mm-hmm. to do that. Right. It was a pull you in prematurely. Yeah. 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 Come over here, you know, and and we needed to grieve. We need to be sad. Um, Yeah. So that, that's the personal Mm -hmm. piece. And all of a sudden, I don't know, I was in a nursing program actually and uh, loved, there was a couple of psychology classes, but all of a sudden there was a a elective um, called death and dying. And I was like elective in a nursing program. So I took that course and I was like, wow, you know, this all makes sense. People who Mm -hmm. are working in palliative care, end of life care, Mm -hmm. what I'm going, what I'm going through. Um, Ours was a sudden death. So that's very different than an Mm -hmm. anticipated death, but the pain is the thing. You just have a long to process it. Um, Right. You, you're thinking about, you're not really, you're hanging on to hope. Um, but you're processing yeah. the person might die where with right. us, you know, I can right. tell you exactly where I was, what I was wearing the day we got the phone call that Elliot yeah. died. Yeah. So no preparation for that. None, right. So it's like yeah. one day oh, you're just, everything shattered. Shell shocked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So needless to say, I, I decided to start taking more classes, more psychology classes, more, um, really looking into took a research class where I could study bereaved moms and what the mm-hmm. research was around them. And mm-hmm. what happened for me, it was, um, yeah, it was really, really interesting. What I realized was there wasn't a lot of studies. It, this was in 2005. So okay. most studies had been done on white female um, 70 year old women who'd lost their husbands. Interesting. Yeah. And a lot of the books and the textbooks and what we should do was based around based that. Based on that. Hmm. Yeah. Which is a very different law. It's not, oh, it's right. absolutely painful. You've lived with someone for 50 years and now they're not there. Right. Yeah. Emptiness, loneliness. It's its own thing. Yeah. yeah right. But uh, there's a woman who's written a book now. And, and back then there weren't very many books you'd go to uh chapters uh look for grief and there might be one or two books on the shelf today thankfully there's a lot more um so there's a woman who wrote a book called it's okay that you're not okay just came out in 2018 megan devine fabulous book if anyone Mm -hmm. uh wants to look into that but she says there's a big difference between sort of a natural death that we know is coming of a grand or when we're older and we are expecting death to come as opposed to an out of order death. Yeah. And I, I out really, of order death. Good phrase. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. It's, it just makes so much sense because when you think of sort of being a bereaved um, parent, losing a child, you know, none yeah. of would ever imagine or even have thought through, I might need to bury my child before right. we die right so all of those pieces are just so big they're really just mm-hmm. um so big and yeah i i loved i went back to school basically with the intent to learn about human behavior why were people rejecting us um shaming us also wanting to walk through with my daughter through her ptsd which mm-hmm. was fabulous I would take a trauma class and then I'd, I'd bring my daughter to the prof and say, can you just 
talk to her, work through this with her. Um, I was invited into the therapy room with my daughter um, Mm -hmm. because I was afraid to be alone in that room Mm -hmm. and loved the therapists that we found who were, Mm -hmm. this is the one thing, if you find, you know, you're looking for counseling, find a therapist that has some training, not just one Mm -hmm. class, an elective in their whole program because Mm -hmm. They just know how to walk alongside. They know mm-hmm. they're not fixable, right? Yeah. So walking with my daughter through some of her EMDR um, work, I was silent in the room, but she needed just me being there. Didn't say yeah. a word. And I then I knew yeah. the story and then could process more with her later. So I became sort of mother counselor to my family. And then I re- realized, you know what I really want to do? Um, more research on uh, grief and and what I found was there were a lot of shoulds around grief. Um, mm-hmm. Freud, who you know wrote a lot um, around grief, melancholia, he he compared mourning and uh, depression. A lot of the things were well, this is what you should do. You should release, mm-hmm. release and let go. But it wasn't what people were actually doing. Yeah. So I started finding the studies on lived experiences of what people actually were doing in grief. And I'm like, okay, I'm hooked. That's where I'm going. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm going to do a study on the lived experience of families. Beautiful. It's such a different orientation to how we learn. Well, we either yeah. scan for um, what's, what's actually unpacked and unfolding in people's lives and use that as the wisdom right? Or we come at it from, I'm going to impose what I believe is the stamp, the roadmap, the structure, the paradigm, the whatever. And, and that will help you not be in your lived reality, right? Bring you out, like rescue you from this. Yeah. What a different perspective. Yeah. So that led you into a unique path of not just what you would research or what you were going to learn, but how you would go about it. And then how you would apply it. Yeah. 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 And so the word that, as you mentioned at the beginning, um, the the word thanatology. So the study of thanatology is just the study of of death and dying. And I decided I wanted to become an expert in that. I had the lived experience personally, which is so different. We're all so different. Every person's journey, you know, individually, it's unique within a family system. It's unique. So, um, but I wanted just to know more. I wanted to know more about the models and the theories that were out there Mm -hmm. and, you know, what, uh, what was known about the lived experience and, and how to take that into the counseling room with my, with my clients. And yeah, yeah so I've, I've become a certified thanatologist um, through an association called um, Association for Death Education and Counseling. Um, okay. They're probably, you know, a huge membership. I go to their um, conferences every year and present on my research and just learn and learn and learn. I love mm-hmm. it. Uh, love being around nice my kids. Community. Call, yeah, my kids call them my people, which Aww. is yeah, which is awesome. Your so, people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Go ahead. You touched earlier on the uniqueness of a couple of things. One, the out of order death, which is the first time I've heard it phrased that way and such a lovely way to capture such a hard experience. Like 
it, we need descriptions, right? We often need words to put that into, yes, that fits. And that seems like that's such a much better fit. A couple of layers there. I heard one around the suddenness, the unpreparedness, the shock, and how that grieving process looks different, or the impact of that type of loss looks different. And I also think there's this out of order piece of it's so wrong to lose a child. There's this, it doesn't fit. Like it can't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. Why is this this way? I, when I lost my parents, when I lost my first parent, I, these weren't questions I asked. I didn't ask why it was still hard and we had loss, but I wasn't saying it didn't feel unjust somehow. Right. And, and there's something that I don't know how to phrase or put my finger on right and fully, but can you speak to some of the aspects around that of why, what's so unique about that experience and, and maybe it's not just about the suddenness, but people whose children have chronic illness and succumb to that at an early age that process of grieving that loss is so unique. Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was in a training uh, for hospice. I really wanted to, to work at hospice. And so they have a volunteer training that everyone, even clinical counselors have to go through mm -hmm. and loved it. It was so beautiful. And, you know, they brought people from palliative care in and just different stories and sharing um, different ways of grieving. Anyhow, I still remember this one um, significant video that we watched from a place called the Dougie Center. It's a um, center for grieving children down in, it's actually in Portland, Oregon, and I've been there many times. Beautiful kind of old um, home that was turned into a center that's kind of got a circular staircase in the center and all these rooms for children to come. Um, and their families, but mostly children and, and teenagers, because um, there's groups for them to come. Lots of kids go there after school just to hang out with people who understand them. And I remember this one woman saying, something, when a child dies, something inside of us screams no. Yeah. And it's a silent scream because we don't, in our culture, we don't let it out. But yeah. inside, everything in us screams no. So think yeah. about that body. You know, your body is totally engaged in that. This is wrong. Yeah. This is out of order. This should never be. My child, I didn't protect them. Then you go into all the guilt and the what oh, ifs. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So, I mean, bereaved parents feel every, you know, the full spectrum of emotions is how I like to mm. say it. We get mm -hmm. angry, not everybody, but we do. Mm -hmm. Unjust, the injustice of it. You know, this child didn't get to live. This one did. Yeah. We try and figure it out. We try and comprehend the whys. Um, a lot also brings us into this piece of where did they go? And they're alone. Yes. God needs me with them. Right. You know, so there's so many. It, it's just this complex, multifaceted um, thing that happens inside us. We don't do it. You know, um, I think there's there's a saying sort of that bereavement happens to us. Okay, somebody dies. Mm. And then grieving kind of has this reactive piece. We, we react in, in a response that we don't control. Okay. Yep. 
Um, and even grieving itself for all of us is probably more when you hear it, it, it you go into this numbness autopilot type of a place. You got to get it done. You know, even if it's a grandma, well, like you got to get things done, right? Yeah. Um, so our bodies, there's this, maybe it's a bit of a protector. For me, it was. I wouldn't have been able to do any of that without that yeah. little bit of meanness. Um, yeah. All of a sudden, depending on the loss, you know, I would say a year out after all the firsts with the loss of a child, um, all of a sudden that fog goes and you feel everything. That anger, that no, that this is not right, yeah. this injustice piece comes up and and it just you know it wants to flail um I've had clients that uh come to me where you know they've been diagnosed with you know anger management and I'm like what oh come on yeah let's scream let's throw things right the little thing behind you the 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 dark throwing thing right we need to we need to get that scream out yeah. And so it's similar with children and emotion regulation, right? And emotion yeah. coaching. We've got, they've got very big feelings. Well, in mm-hmm. grief, bereaved moms, dads, siblings, loss of a child, loss of a family member that's out of order. That's yeah. what we need to figure out how to get that out. It's so primal. Hey, absolutely. And not wrong. I think this idea that we manage something means there's something wrong with it. Yes. So you better contain it, right? Yeah. Mask it. You better train it. You yeah. better, sh- yeah, shorten its lifespan. You better put it in yeah. a box. You better tape it up pretty. You better, it's yeah. so counter. Yeah. Yeah. It needs so to flow. Me, yeah, it has to. It has to flow. So, mm-hmm. you know, my work with clients is very much that way in, in just let's scream together. Beautiful. You know? I get them to try things like go out. If you're, if it's a guy, I'm like, you have a motorbike, go scream, just scream. Yeah. Teens, go on a roller coaster, yeah. scream. That yeah. prime, it doesn't make anything go away. The death nope. is still there, but there are so much going on in our bodies that we've got to find ways to vent it, release it. And people are scared of that. Yeah. Right? It's scary. Oh, yeah. It is. It's scary to us. Yeah. You know, we don't really know how to hold the space for people who have that much going on. And um, there's a lot of work done around bereaved parents and what their needs are. And one article in particular always hit me was that bereaved parents find solace, comfort, soothing in being able to talk about their child. Yep. Yes. I think that's a really big concept that people don't recognize. Um, I hear it all the time. Oh, but if I say the child's name, they'll cry. <gasps> yes, but they were already yeah, crying. Which is so right. Yeah. yeah. Right? They were there. You didn't just bring them up. You're not they're causing this for people. Yeah. yeah they're here. They're yeah. at the forefront. Um, yeah. So, in order to walk alongside and allow, you know, some of that, if it brings comfort, totally. allow, you know, I mean, uh, for me, my experience, I had many people, even sisters, saying, you need to be there for your other children. I'm like, oh, I am. Yeah, like you don't know that. Yeah, you are. That's right. It's already happening. Yeah, I am. I. It's different yeah. than what it was before. But yeah. I mean, I I always say I have two that walk and one that soars, and I need to talk uh, about all three of them. Yeah. I need to talk about them. You know, um, I have friends whose you know some kids, some of their children are 
involved with, you know, alcohol abuse and, and different pieces. And we talk about them all the time and it's okay. Right. And they want, they need to vent this. They're sad. There there's pain around it, but it's more acceptable because they're still alive Mm -hmm. when they're gone. You know, people, it's like they want to put it in a box, put it it over here and don't talk about it. Well, that's not helpful. It actually is probably more, you know, that's the oppressive piece. That's the piece that the societal norms put pressure Mm -hmm. on. Shove it down. Yeah. And we've already got everything coming up that's so big because of the injustice of it and the pain and the sadness and missing that we don't need that extra. It's so hard when you've got that, that also complicates the process. Absolutely. I, you know, speaking to the experience of losing a child at the start of life, you know, that really right from the get go, the joy of knowing that relationship with that child has just, just begun, you know, it's fresh, it's alive and it's so strong. Um, but it's so short and this might be through miscarriage or a stillborn experience or within the first few years of walking in the world. And I just wonder what tend to be the salient questions or struggles that those parents have in their own grieving process. Yeah. Yeah. And it's big. I actually work with quite a number of bereaved moms and bereaved Mm. couples who you know some of them had difficulty getting pregnant they've spent two or three years yeah that too yeah that in itself adds a whole nother dynamic and then Mm -hmm. if they get pregnant and the baby you know it doesn't matter sort of at what you know week of pregnancy that we lose that child we have hopes and dreams right we're at a stage yeah we're at a stage in life we want to have babies right we're married Mm -hmm. or what you know we decide this and and then we lose a child that we're thinking about and been preparing for and, and hoping for and have the due date coming, mm-hmm. right? And those are so difficult. But but what I find to be probably the most difficult around miscarriage um, is that there there's so many differences within that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very different to miscarry a five-week child in, in utero um, as opposed to a 15 or 16 weeks. Okay. So that we really do not have language. And I've been studying this a long time and they're, you know, stillborn, um, born still is, is absolutely, you know, we can picture that we, we yeah. have a picture of that and that's huge and big. And, and it's still a bit what we call disenfranchised in the sense of um, it's not acknowledged this, you know, it, it's more, um, kind of very awkward to talk about a yeah. child that's born still. But yeah. in the disenfranchised piece around miscarriage before that is, it, you know, there's so many different ideas of when the baby is a baby, first of right. all. Yes. Uh, yeah. Secondly, do we name the baby? Do we, you know, it, it, there's no name. Yeah. So what do we do with that? It's yeah. kind of ambiguous. Yeah. Um, but I've I've worked with a few um, women recently, young moms, who've had a late miscarriage. Baby's heartbeat stops. Mm. First of all, they're traumatized because they go for an ultrasound, and that ultrasound technician has no idea what to do with this. Oh they, my goodness! Yeah, they go silent, oh. and the mom's 
in this space. Vacuum. Oh. And with COVID, the husband hasn't been allowed to be there. Yep. And then they're told, well, your doctor will call you. Yeah. So we work through the trauma around that. And then they have to deliver the baby at a certain, you know, week. Yeah. You have to deliver the baby. And so they yeah. go in induced. It's not, you know, that this isn't happening naturally. Baby is born lifeless and they hold this tiny little baby. Yeah. It needs every piece yeah. of that little baby is there, but they basically fit yeah. into your hand. Yeah. And they're, they don't, you know, there's no breath. And then the mom has to deliver the placenta, which is usually still embedded. This is where one of the biggest trauma pieces oh, come. My the placenta yeah. And yeah. the pain of oh. them trying to get that placenta out of there. Oh, you know, so we've got so layers of trauma. Mm-hmm. And then we have to bury the baby or decide cremation or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and so all... All of these things that, you know, when they get out from this and somebody says, oh, what happened? We had a miscarriage. Do we even think about all of that? Mm. Right? No, nobody does. We don't. And and so we can't hold the space. I've had people who the their their parents say, well, better luck next time. Yeah. Oh. Well, they're not going to share all of this with them. Better right, like that's next. not safe. Oh. oh, that's a signal. Yeah, we're not going there again. Right? Yeah. yeah. Or at least you can try again. You can have another baby. So it just negates, it negates all of that. Where, like I said, even in the field of death and dying, there's not really great language around that. Right. Right. Um, and you can't go to maternity ward until you're 20 weeks, I don't think. So you're kind of stuck even in the hospital where you're going to deliver this. Yes. Yeah. So for me, my heart, you know, I, oh, I want to advocate. I want to get out there and, and yeah, talk no to doubt. all the technicians. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, what to do in those scenarios. It's not it's that so people- interesting. Like lab technicians. So you're naming that. I've not even thought about that. Um, I, I know someone who had lost their little boy at just prior to, to, I think at due date or even the day after, but prior to natural birth and, um, the social worker in the maternity ward had the first contact or relatively soon after was we need the name of the funeral home that you're sending the body to. And I think like that, what the, right. And this is a human that I would have, there's lots of people in positions where I would assume you, of course, you're not trained in this. doesn't make the experience any less traumatizing for the receiving person. But I get that they weren't equipped. This is a, a person in a position that I would have assumed. Right. This happens all the time. Yeah. And that's there. It was paperwork. Unbelievable to me. Yeah. Yeah. How many people in this medical system that we've set up, right, is ill-equipped and not the, or not the right people for the role to be processing this, right? Those are the moments that we know from trauma research matter so much is how it's experienced in the moment. 
-hmm. not just let's just go with the trauma and then you can spend the next decade unpacking that because it's set it's you know it's it's laid its foundation in your amygdala like can we right yeah heartbreaking oh it is and it's so you know I sit there trying to hold the space for these moms and in COVID all I wanted to do is go hug them and hold them right no right we hug the end usually and it's in COVID we couldn't even have that physical contact no can't do it what a year and a half yeah but I just uh my heart is how do we yeah, how do we get that out there? How do we train people to have that kind of compassion in a world that, I mean, in the medical world, a lot of times it's, you know, they're just numbers. Mm-hmm. They're just, I mean, I had one client who said she was asked, you had a, how do you want to get rid of this? Oh. After the ultrasound technician was given her that kind of trauma at the heart, then the call came, I think, even from a midwife. And I was I like, oh. yeah, we just, you know, it, it's, it's so common than not. Hey, like that's terrifying. Yeah. 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 So just learning to be more gentle and to recognize more is going on than what we yeah. know and, yeah. and just have grace and compassion and, oh yeah. So, I mean, my, part of my job in working with clients in, you know, the next time these, these uh, women ha- get pregnant, uh, is advocating okay where can you go to bc women's for your ultrasound there yeah there's more where is this going to be a better experience more support more yeah. knowledge yeah what yeah. can i do what can i advocate in covid can i mm. call ahead and get permission for emotional oh. support for husbands to be there Good. and so that we can ask for that we can request and often it it does happen so mm. uh yeah so as therapists Hopefully we'll learn more and more about even what we can do to try and help these, these, these traumatic experiences, but it's so difficult. Yeah. So that, you know, that is, it's unique. It is um, unique. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think about, okay, we have kids who have had then on the, on the other side of things, years of life behind them. Right. And these kids have developed a sense of self. They're their own people, their own personalities, their own likes and dislikes, their own ways in the world, their own personal connections. And they've created networks of friends and relationships have been formed. And the la- what layers do we have there for grieving that connectedness to losing a teen? You know this experience well, right? Yeah. Ellie Rose, who had not just you had dreams for her, she had her dreams and she was living them out she's proud of her passport she had she had a name right and and a world around her is that different are there are there are there other things to be grieving because we now know they are attached to that child you know not more or less but different no just different exactly and I think that just to mention about when um babes are miscarried or, or born still mm-hmm. when they're born still, often we name them um yes. so that's one part that I do in the room is we talk about you know what did you call the little one yeah. right and the husband and wife are often on different little one or babes or you know or mm-hmm. peanut or the the nicknames that we give the babies when they're in yep. their tummy so we carry those into the session with us okay. um and sometimes they do name them when they bear you know when they deliver and bury the baby 
often named. And talking, using the name is so critical to these parents because they don't have, they don't know anything about the child. They right. didn't get to know them. They didn't know their personality. So really great point in that that's so different. So hang yeah. on to some, you know, the name or, or the name they called mm. Um, but when we look at, you know, sort of adult children or teenage, older, um, older than babies, there is, there's a personality. You've come to know them. You've come to mm-hmm. know their, <laughs> the buttons, you know, their, their, totally. in their personalities and, yeah. uh, their desires, their loves, their, their likes and dislikes of food, of, you know, whether or not they're into sports or recitals, you've attended them. You're part of um, of them growing up and becoming mm-hmm. in the world, right? So mm-hmm. absolutely my personal experience, but I also did my research on this. And mm-hmm. so um, I worked with three families that had lost an older child. And I had, um, for each of the families, I had mom and dad. And then one family, I had the brother the other family, I had two brothers, and the other family, I had a sister. Um, and so we just talked about that. What did it look like um, mm-hmm. to lose the siblings? Siblings are often kind of unfor- un- like for- they're forgotten grievers. Um, yeah. You know, everyone's coming into the parents, right? And that sibling's mm-hmm. over here. Their whole world has crashed. The person mm-hmm. that they were going to do life with, even after mom and dad died, yes. is now gone. So. Yeah. So many dynamics. I have clients who their only child died. So their hopes and dreams for grandchildren is gone. Yeah. That's, oh my goodness. Where one, they have two siblings, one dies, and now this is an only child. Mm. That sibling grief is huge. And they Mm. don't know who. You know, in yeah. my case, my daughters, it was wonderful. I said, I many times, even before I knew this, that had both my children died in the car accident, I would have lost the other one because she was suicidal already. Right? Yeah. Like, so this yeah. goal, yeah, yeah. it is so big, the dynamics around yeah. relationships in the family system. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then, like you said, friends, you know, instrumental in the grieving process are the friends mm-hmm. to the and their grief process when friends send things or remember them or or they're on Facebook and they I mean Elliot in 2005 there wasn't Facebook which is yeah. weird right yeah. there was MySpace she had a MySpace okay uh, yeah yeah but the girls created whatever the means are at the time the honoring hey like and then the friends love that because that's a place they can go they can go talk to her on her birthday on facebook and Uh all those significant days i have one of uh ellie's friends who became a baker and she sends me cupcakes with roses on them on yes oh yes amazing amazing right so so they they're in the grieving process with us and and yeah. if we could learn to do this better in community mm-hmm. with everybody that it doesn't matter how many years I, I just had a phone call the other day from one of Ellie's friends sharing mm-hmm. with me the impact that Ellie's life had yeah. on her I mean yeah. this is 15 years later yeah and oh my oh, heart, right right she meant something to people so it, it's such a different process, even on, you know, when I talk about sort of rituals and remembrances, mm-hmm. um, 
on their birthdays, on the day they died, at Christmas, we can be very intentional about carrying them with us. And one of the most important things I do with my families is who've had children that are older, we get together and we decide, how are you going to carry them with you? Yeah. And how do you feel? And how do you want to? And we go, oh, I'd love to do this. I want to be more intentional. I, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so many different things going on, but we try and come together and figure out what that will look like that everybody can be a part of. And that's what, that's how we integrate the loss into our lives. We don't avoid talking about it. We turn towards it. We look at it. We we let ourselves grieve. We give ourselves permission to grieve. And like I said, with an older child, that part's almost easier. With a baby yeah. that you didn't name, that you don't know about, you know, on Ellie's birthday, we have her favorite things and she would hate right. this. I mean, she loved Cheetos and root beer. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we yeah. all kind of try and get it down. <laughs> but you know and then multi-generationally my daughters yeah. now have children who know uh-huh. ellie loves uh-huh. when my grandson was two years old he had these little paw patrol figures and he was so concerned when one was missing because he had to have all six of them right yeah. sky and all these little puppies and one day He came up and he was sitting in the room where we have a picture of her. We're all having dinner. And he said, Auntie Ellie's missing. (sighs) Two years old. Click. He knew of her, but he knew she was missing. And it wasn't sad in the sense of we all touched. We were like, he did an understanding that when people die they're missing and we miss them and we get to keep you know them with us if we want to yeah right that everybody has different ways some people cannot have a picture of the child in their room it's too big too much yeah Yeah. and others have to that's a bit of a security for them so neither you know we don't go oh that's wrong or you should right you know, some people say, Take, tear down the room right away. Give away everything. Oh, no, 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 no. I would say, don't do anything for the first two years, literally. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to right. because you're, you're going to want to do different things later than you do yeah. right at the beginning. Right. Not reactive. Let it, yeah. let it let unpack it, as it goes. Yeah. yeah. See. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah, we carry them with us. And yeah. that's the beautiful piece for me in the academia world, it's called continuing bonds. And it basically just means that we learn how to love them and keep them with us in separation. Their absence is very present in our minds. Mm -hmm. And so because it is, we, we allow that to be, we talk about them, we let them be with us and we carry them into life just as our grandparents, you know, the, the words of Mm -hmm. wisdom, Oh, you know, grandpa used to say this with a child. It's often too big. Nobody, nobody can talk about it. So we get families talking about it. You know what? They impacted you. Um, One of my families um, in my research, the two, the one with the two sons that came, they talked about um, being at a golf course and seeing an eagle. And they were all together looking at the eagle all getting goosebumps in silence, knowing that was their brother's favorite thing to watch Mm. eagles. 
And so that's a continuing bond. That's all of us experiencing yeah. the loss together, looking the at the, for yeah. the absence. Oh. And it connects us together as a family. Yeah. That's yeah. the piece that literally in my research came out sailing. So huge. It was the biggest oh. thing is that when we allow ourselves to have a continuing bond on our own individually, mm-hmm. but also in the family system, that's what helps us relearn to be a family again. Mm. Hmm. Big pieces, right? That's huge. Yeah. I, you know, I always, with all of the episodes around grief and loss, we've looked at the end at the last question about the support piece, because we may ourselves not have been in a position of losing um, whatever we're talking about in that episode, right? A life loss that's exactly the same as somebody else's or we haven't yet lost a parent or we haven't lost a child. And, and yet I would gauge the 99% of us, this touches because we deeply love and care for someone who has experienced that loss. And we struggle like the people who walked across the street who knew you so well. And suddenly there was this gap between you and this frozenness and this, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be there. I don't know. But am I going to say the wrong thing? Will I wound you? Will I, I don't want to make you cry. That whole other people in our world who react desperately have beautiful intentions and are misguided with what they can do. And I love to inject at the end of these episodes for those people tools of an insight. And I think you've already given us, I mean, I probably don't even have to ask the question because just from you explaining this, I think it helps us understand how to better be there with people. Mm-hmm. Um, when maybe even just not after the loss, but throughout our journey of loss, when we feel triggered and it's hard to be in those places, how do we go about supporting friends, family who are walking that and for those of us who are in the position and needing extra support, but maybe don't know if it's safe enough with the people who do love us, but don't know how to be there effectively. When do we know that it's time to talk with somebody like yourself or like another counselor who, who can really sit in that with you? Yeah, those are great questions. So the first part of it and how do we be there for friends and family who are going through um, losses? And it's a it's a huge question um, mm-hmm. because I truly don't believe that people are trying to be mean or insensitive. Yeah. I think they yeah. just don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, so number one thing is get comfortable with silence. Mm-hmm. Recognize you don't have to fix them. And honestly, you can't fix them. Not possible. Not possible. Um, one of the big things in research that has come out over and over and over is in grieving, it's a little different than other um, types of therapy even. We need to tell and retell the story. So if, you can, if there is space in our families with our friends to tell and retell, because what happens is as a person tells and retells the death event, what happened around the death and and talks about the relationship they had with the person it moves them in their grieving process mm. 
beautiful That's thing. That's so helpful. Okay. Yeah. Because tr- in trauma, we don't want to retell our story. We want to yeah. help our body integrate in different ways yeah. at the body level. This is interesting. Oh, so for grief and loss, retelling is healing. Yes. And if you think okay. of a spiral staircase, okay, they have to go around and around. Uh-huh. Swirling. Swirling, but we watch for movement. They're going up. Okay. okay. And I tell my clients that. Don't worry when you feel like you've had a grief setback or a burst or what a, a wave, wave yeah. Over. You know, they talk about it in many different ways in the lived experience of it. Mm. It's when somebody has held the space and listened and let you be sad, mad, frustrated, mm-hmm. not to the point where you, you don't need to go into it with them and, and go, yeah, that was horrible, you know, sort of around the medical thing. Well, if that didn't happen, they wouldn't have died. That's not what we need. What we need is yeah. just holding it. Let us say it. Let us speak it. Let us think it through, reflect and and, and reprocess what happened to us and there's this incredibly beautiful saying that I found years ago of a young girl who was beyond her she was a literary genius and she said taste my tears and they will dry up on their own you have to get pretty close to someone to taste their tears and you also have to listen for the tears to come yeah so it's going to be the title of my book I'm, I'm oh, working on it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, we, we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to get close enough. Yeah. And be okay with it. Because yeah. we're scared. We're awkward. We haven't been trained Terrified. to do it. We have a hundred things that come up in our head. I have a friend, uh, Ben Benton, who at the same time I was doing my research, he looked at communities and grieving. And one of the number one things that came out was there's a desire to care. Hmm. They don't know how so we need to get out there and figure out how to teach or learn if you don't know how go find a book on how to be with people and recognize you don't need to say the right thing you're going to say the wrong thing I'm you know I have the lived experience and I'm now supposedly specialized in this I say the wrong things um and I go oh I'm so sorry I remember being with a bereaved mom one time we'd lost her daughter. She had two sons. And I said, oh, I'm going shopping with my two girls. And I'm like, oh, it just sucked in my throat. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a client, thankfully. It was a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. It can happen with clients too. But you just, yeah. you just know yeah, we oh, do these things. I'm yeah. so sorry. I didn't mean to be insensitive. You don't, yeah. you know, your daughter's not here. And so being able to go and be a bit yeah. fluid if it goes somewhere and you're sharing and um just say it i've had friends who say i'm going to say something stupid please forgive me already i yeah. love it love yeah. that like you know yeah. that's great. permission to screw up and stay close <laughs> yeah great way of yeah. putting it yeah yeah but it, yeah so that that's all all part of it in you know sort of people around i, I have people calling me or texting me all the time I'm going to see my friend who lost somebody. What do I say? And I, I love right. that. I what are the words? Go, yeah, but just just be there. Hold space. Mm. Allow it to be. Don't change it. Don't your change presence, it, yeah. Your presence is what they need. Don't yeah. say, tell me what I can do for you. Bring yeah. food. Don't ask yeah. them what they need. Don't. That's not helpful. 
Just if you yeah. think of bringing food, bring food. If you think yeah. of sending a card, send a card. If you just yeah. go over for a hug, text them on the day. I'm thinking of you. I, I say this, it's so simple. A heart yeah. thinking about you. That's it. Yep. That just means the world yeah. to people who are grieving. I think and then there's this, uh, this idea of we're so responsible. Right. I think that I feel that in the weight of what you're saying of like, if I put myself in the position of the person wanting to get the words right, wanting to know what exactly what give me the script, because I don't want to mess this up. We carry we assume we are responsible for shaping or for making that okay, or a good experience. We're not responsible for it. We have to allow it to be whatever it is. Yeah, us yeah. just being present is the thing. Right. And as soon as we flip to this idea that we're responsible for creating something that's okay or healthy or good or safe or whatever, then we get so hyper-focused on, did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Exactly. And that's, I think that um, it's really important. I say this often to people, if a should comes out of your mouth, Uh pull it back. Warning sign. It is, right? The more that we people, you should be here, you should do that, you should do that. It's not helpful. Maybe they should. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. right? Yeah. But that's not, let them come to that understanding or make that move themselves. Yeah. They will. Yeah. They will. You, you telling them they should almost actually aggravates it more. It just, totally. you're not allowing them to be where they are, trying to push them right. ahead. Let's get going. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Agree. Let's make some quick meaning out of this. Yeah. 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 So grief is grief. What we know, it's unique. It's lifelong. It mm. comes around. We have yeah. to tell it. We process it. It needs validation. Um, yeah. And just in the sense of um, sort of what we do in the counseling room, the my personal experience was that my family did not know how to hold the space. We were mm-hmm. they got very awkward and silent when we brought her name up, and that was. Okay. A, hor- a horrible feeling it was right oh, oh we're gonna go hang out with them today and then I'm gonna feel like driving off a cliff because uh, it just mentally pushed us oh, over so the draining air. yeah 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 right going to Thanksgiving and having to t- say what you're thankful for a month after I'll oh, be dying you're like right okay but they're just not getting it they just weren't nope. getting it right so it's just so important to recognize that we you know mm-hmm. I went at that point, I didn't have support. Um, one of the number one things in all the research studies is those who had support. And this mm-hmm. is not like a lot of people think support is coming around and telling you to pull up your bootstraps. Yeah. That's not. Yes. Give the encouraging about. message, the silver lining, the pull you out. Yeah. Yeah. I was not so it. supportive. No. Support in the sense of walking with them, coming alongside, accompanying them wherever they are, and letting them feel it's okay to be where they are. Yeah. Right? That's the part. I didn't have that. Um, It was really, really a tough place. And so probably about three years out, I was like not doing well. And I went for counseling. surprise, right? Yeah. Yeah. First thing that happened was, this counselor was just so amazing. She she engaged a little bit in the anger I had, which was awesome. But anyway, at, yeah. at nobody been Very able validating. to. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. I'm not crazy for being pissed at them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Good. Yeah. And then she just said, 
you get to give permission to yourself and to your family members of how you want to do this. Mm. Rocked my world, changed everything. Wow. Our family, yeah, I came home, I told my girls and my husband, okay, how are we going to do this? And this was even before going to school. I just said, we're carrying Ellie, whatever you guys need. Each of my girls got married. I said, "How? What do you? What do you need? You're, yeah. you're going to have to carry joy and sorrow together exactly yeah. on the very same day, yeah. and they each had different things. One, Ellie and her had this thing about sunflowers. So she, her bouquet was a sunflower with a yeah. picture of her and Ellie in a sunflower field. Uh, got her, through, got her through the day. Yeah. My other daughter had a picture of her and Ellie in Ukraine. At it, work, working with children, which was Ellie's favorite thing in the world. Um, so she carried her in her bouquet. I even had said, to, and, and that daughter said, uh, Mom, I think I'm going to buy a bridesmaid's dress for her. And I said, Absolutely. I said, You want it up at the front? You want a poster? Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. Out. And she went, No, everyone will think we're crazy. And I said, You know what? I know that we're not. So <laughs> you, if right. you want that, I'm actually, at that point, I was a therapist. I said, you know what? I actually know we're not. So I know what delusional. Yeah, that's like. right. We're okay. If you okay. want that. <laughs> I'm like, awesome. you can have that. So do what you I, mean, need. I, tell my, I tell my clients all the time, put an empty chair if you need it. Yeah. Do whatever you need to symbolize for you that that person, your dad's not going to be at your wedding. Oh, yeah. So hard. Yeah. What do you need? What do you need to have dad? There? Right. And we do that. And I tell them, you keep in your head. Tammy told me I'm not crazy. If anyone yeah, else, right. me, I'm not. <laughs> I'm louder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. So we just, we do that. And, and so really important to know is you're not going to change the rest of the world. You're not going to change those guys out there. Yeah. And when you're grieving, you know, the first year or two, that's not the time to do it. You don't right. have the energy or, or strength to do yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So pull back, give yourself permission and your family permission and figure out how you're going to do that with your family. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I've had so many people um, in our home in Canmore before we moved out here. Ellie was everywhere. It was our, it was her childhood mm-hmm. home. We didn't take mm-hmm. anything home. We just put more up. And I, her friends would come in and say, oh, and they just loved coming over. They just wanted to hang out with me because it was a safe place to talk about Ellie. Yeah. And they want, they needed that. They weren't able to talk about her in their home because it was taboo to talk about people yes. who had died. Yeah, taboo. So mm. we just create space, right? And in the mm-hmm. counseling room, the same thing. Where I'm creating space. I'm listening. I generally start with who is who is the person? You know, I'll, mm. I'll use the name. I'll say, bring a picture of you and her or him, and let's talk about them. Mm-hmm. We get safe they can safely talk about their loved one uh and then we go to the little death event what happened some of them you know 17 years later have never talked about the death event mm-hmm. one mom actually saw the accident happen and never spoke to anybody about oh, it oh wow right holding oh, that what a burden oh yeah she just needed to share it yeah. um and so, yeah, we, in the room, it's, it's so important. And, and every, you know, so many times when people who come to counseling, there's trauma pieces, right? Yeah. That we, that I, cause that's why I did trauma too. Um, yeah. We work on the trauma and then we talk about, we, it's, it's a great um, piece to titrate mm-hmm. with. We mm-hmm. work on the, and then we talk about their loved one. Yeah. And we figure yeah. out ways to 
integrate the loss and remember them and honor them. What do you want to do to honor them? Mm-hmm. Right. And I just make it so mm-hmm. normal that it's, we get to do this mm-hmm. however you want to do it. And it just becomes this beautiful piece. Where I love it. I, uh, years ago, I just had to, you know, my first, I was working at hospice where I was seeing probably about 10 clients a day and every story was so big. Um, All of a sudden I just got this picture of this cloud. Somebody sent a cloud, you know, a heart cloud. And I'm like, that's it. These are love stories. Uh These are loved ones. These are significant people in our lives. Not all relationships are love and and lots of them have lots of tumultuous pieces. So that's trauma too. We have to go there. But when you can see them as they're sharing the love they had, Mm. the love, even in marriages that broke up, when you met, Mm. tell me. Right. And we just go Mm. to those places that are really hard that no one else has space for. Yeah. And in the case of space for, yeah, yeah. it's not just Mm. about listening. I have a lot of other skills. Right. Mm-hmm. And in grief yeah. therapy, we do that. We do the trauma. We slow down. We pause. We walk through it. We get to the feelings. Right. We we don't let it re-traumatize and all that. Right. But talking about the person isn't the trauma. Right. Right. It's them being gone. And now what do I do? Yeah. We talk about how to re-engage. There's a beautiful um, piece around um, one of the grief models that's called the dual process model of coping. And so after someone dies, we literally cope. We try and figure mm-hmm. out coping mechanisms. Some people turn to alcohol and drugs and others to eating or whatever, distracting mm-hmm. in some way. Um, but And this just shows, you know, we go, we're in the loss part of it. And then mm-hmm. we're in the restoration part of it. We go out with a friend. We can go out. And so we oscillate. And that's actually what we do as the lived experience. Yeah, we pivot in and out. Yeah. yeah. We go in and out, and most of it's coping, just trying to get through the day, right? And then, yeah, survival. And then all of a sudden, we pull it in to integration, and that's Mm -hmm. the carrying carrying them with us, where there's more days where we can smile about their memories Mm -hmm. and honoring them. Then it actually takes us back down to some of those places of depression and depressed mood and, and not being able to get up out of bed in the morning. So, yeah, yeah. You, this, this has been a fantastic, rich conversation that I, I, my thank you, um, is both to you, but also wanting to thank you for inviting Ellie Rose into the room because Mm -hmm. what you have been able to share has given a glimpse of the life and the wisdom that not not just you have learned in your own experience but in relationship with your daughter that has very much had a thread woven into this conversation so I want to dedicate this to both you and her and thank you thank you very much it's been a pleasure to be here Thanks for spending time with me today. Remember to check out the show notes for related resources. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.thrive-life forward slash LRL series, where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. 
And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud. I will see you back here next time.